seated. Pray that the word may be a blessing to us this evening. Heavenly Father, we do ask that again that in the name of Jesus that you will accept our prayers seeking light upon the word that you have provided us by way of your spirit, opening our hearts to receive your word, proclaim it boldly, to proclaim it rightly, relevantly, faithfully, uh, in accordance with your will. As we touch on the fourth commandment this evening in light of your grace, as we delight in the rest that Jesus Christ has given us as the risen Savior, and that we might find delight in the rest that this commandment calls us to receive as well. We pray that you'd hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 116 is our passage today, also Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, as we're looking at the fourth commandment tonight uh, in our series out of the Heidelberg Catechism. And so, of course, we're going to go to Lord's Day 38 that deals with the fourth commandment, uh, as is our practice in the United Reformed Churches. We take a service typically to uh, preach confessionally. It's a long-standing practice in Reformed churches for centuries, and uh, we take up that practice today as well. And uh, Lord's Day 38, then, is going to be the focus as far as the fourth commandment goes, uh, as it speaks to us about what that commandment means to us in our lives, but we're going to shed light upon that confession through Psalm 116 and Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. We start with Psalm 116, where it says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. And I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious is in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And again, Hebrews 13, a couple of verses there from 15 and 16, uh, where we pick up uh, in Hebrews 13 these words, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good 
and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Take a moment also to consider Lord's Day 38 then, and as we're looking at the Ten Commandments that we're to be using to gratefully live before God, and in the Fourth Commandment, we have this question asked, what is God's will for us in the Fourth Commandment? First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained. And by the way, this is on page 52 in the back of the hymnal. That especially on the festive day of rest, I regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways, let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. We're grateful for God's truths. May they be a blessing for us to us tonight as we ponder on them again. Boys and girls are going to find, as we all are, I suppose, that I'm going to be using the word rest quite often tonight. Maybe you might help me and find out how many times I used the word rest during this message. It is quite a few times. A congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we focus on the fourth commandment, it does allow us to ponder, among other things, on how the commandment is a reflection of the Christian experience. Where we find ourselves in the Christian experience delighting in the rest that the Lord provides us with his gospel and by his grace that way. It's remarkable that when we're talking about the good work that we can do in the light of God's grace, that one of the commandments will stress a restful delight in the Lord. A festive day of rest, as the catechism puts it. Knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, who, who calls us to his spiritual rest, moves us, in accordance with the fourth commandment, to delight festively in the rest that he provides. And that's fitting. For as those who are called to profess one's faith in Christ, as, as we're called to that, we're admitting that attempts at seeking our own salvation or our own version of salvation leaves us burdened, heavy laden, with lives turned upside down, lived in a chaos, seeking peace and rest where there isn't any. But when we profess our faith in God, we find ourselves resting in God to accomplish what the labor's of our hands cannot fulfill. We delight in the rest of the Lord. And so yes, those who know Christ's rest see their calling in the fourth commandment to delight in the rest of God. And that makes sense. It's, it's like when you get to the ninth commandment and, and you read that you shouldn't bear false witness and you say, well, it's because I should be a lover of the truth. Well, why should I be a lover of the truth? Well, I'm a lover of the truth because it's the truth of the gospel that set me free. It's, it's fitting. And the fourth commandment's like that. If you've known, if you've known Christ's rest, 
and you delight in that rest, then heeding this call in the fourth commandment to delight in the rest that God gives is fitting. It, it's natural, you might say. As Christians, we get to do this all the time. To delight in the rest of the Lord. On the special day of worship, the, the Lord's day, but also every day. It's something that we do with our words, but also with our deeds. And certainly Hebrews 13, that we just read, especially uh, makes that clear to us. In our worship and in our work, we may delight in the rest of the Lord. So when we approach the fourth commandment then, we should not miss, if we are delight, delighting in the rest of the Lord that we have received, we shouldn't miss the focus of delighting in the rest of the Lord. Because that's what our lives are all about. They're reflecting what our profession of faith is meant to be. It's the first commandment positively presented. If we see our calling to delight in the rest of the Lord, we will not fall into the legalistic pitfalls that we bring to the commandment. As with the rest of the commandments of the Lord, this commandment is not designed by God to burden us. But if you were to ask people in general, if they were going to look at one of the commandments and say, well, is this, this is a commandment that's a burden to me, it's the fourth. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way because it's a commandment that's calling us to delight in the rest of the Lord. And then if we look at it that way, we won't be burdened when we remember that the reason why we should celebrate the rest of God is because in faith we delight in the saving rest that God has given us in Jesus Christ. I believe and therefore I speak of the wondrous things the Lord has done, calling on the name of the Lord as long as I live. So this message is about delighting in the rest of the Lord on the day of worship and every day for that matter. We're to delight on the day of worship if we're delighting in the rest of God. And we see that, that spirit of worship coming through in the various passages that we've read. Whether it's, it's the calling to continually offer a sacrifice of praise through Christ uh, to God with the fruit of lips, or, or to call upon the name of the Lord that's repeatedly stated to us as long as we live in Psalm 116, certainly that spirit of worship is there, and certainly that spirit of worship falls in line with the fourth commandment's calling to keep the day holy. The motivation to this worship is made very clear in many respects throughout all three passages. God has liberated you. God has delivered your soul from death and anguish and distress. At least that's how the psalmist puts it. Jesus Christ is the reason that the fruit of lips should be what I'm offering continually to my Lord, to my God. The reason for worship then, because of what God has done. It's fitting to do that on the day of rest, because it focuses on what God has done for us. The Christian believer testifies that God has brought rest to one's soul. He has dealt, like the psalmist said, bountifully with me. 
God has accomplished impressively what I could not. He has turned my life from being upside down to right side up. He's delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I'll walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He's dealt bountifully with me. And this has happened ultimately through Jesus Christ, such as the profession I make. He's brought rest to my soul. Come unto me, all you who labor and heavy are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Christ is the reason for peace with God and the peace of God for my heart. That's the profession that leads to praise before God. And because he's done these things, because he has answered my prayer for such saving and transforming peace and rest for my sin-filled and chaotic heart, what does the psalmist say? I'll call on him all my life. And not just in prayer, but in praise. The person who professes his faith in Christ is convicted that way. He's in it for the long haul. He'll praise him as long as, as he lives. I'll keep my promises to have this kind of praise-filled conviction. I'll pay my vow in the presence of all his people. You'll find me as delivered by God with rest for my soul, uh, keeping my promise to praise him publicly in the assembly of God's people. In practicality, you will ordinarily find yourself faithfully worshiping in the church of which you're a member. When you're a Christian. When you are delighting in the rest of God. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. If God has dealt bountifully with you, you know his rest. You know his peace. Now, it doesn't have to be done in Jerusalem now like the psalmist would speak of in the tail end of that passage in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Now, we don't do that there necessarily anymore. If you happen to be a re resident in Jerusalem and there's a Christian church there, that's fine. But it's wherever it is that God has me reside. It's worshiping publicly with God's people. It's keeping my promises to do that. It's delighting in doing that. As somebody who has known God's rest in Christ, who's known that God has dealt bountifully with me. And of course we know that we actually worship in, in, in the heavenly places, don't we? The heavenly Jerusalem, in the presence of God. Every time we hear the call to worship the Lord, it, it, that, we're, that we worship the Lord, we do that because it's our delight to do that. That's not a burdensome calling. Because God has dealt bountifully with me. He's done a delightful thing for me, which, for which I'm glad. If I think about how it is that God has, has done the heavy lifting, it's God who has turned my life around, that he's the one that's brought rest to my soul, that he's the one that's brought peace between me and God, uh, then when the day of worship comes around, 
this call to worship is just a delightful priority for me. It just fits. It just fits. What could be more delightful for me than to, to take delight to express that in the rest that the Lord has given me for my sin and darkness and then expressing that and reflecting on that and the opportunities that have been given to me to call on the name of the Lord with others who have also known that similar delight. You can't keep it in. You got to get it out. And you delight in it. And that positive calling is reflected in what the church has confessed over the years. It is a time to hear the word of the Lord. I regularly attend the Assemblies of God people to learn what God's word teaches. The word of the Lord as he spoke to his disciples on the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, was a word of peace. It was a word of rest for their troubled souls. It made that first day a day of peace and rest. While they were afraid on the first day of the week because their focus was on their foes and it was on their weakness and it was on their troubles and it was on their faithlessness, Jesus comes into their midst and speaks his word of peace on the day of peace the day of rest, the day that was the first day of the week, the day of resurrection. It's his gospel word that he speaks to his people gathered so that peace might be restored to their troubled souls. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest because the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. That's what God does every time through Jesus Christ, as he gathers us together on the first day of the week, where we are so tempted throughout the week to focus on our uh, enmity with others or with weakness that we have or the troubles that we face or the, the challenges to be faithless. Jesus comes back to us and he gives to us his word of peace and, and he does that on the first day of the week. So that peace might be restored to our troubled souls, so that we can hear in essence, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so that we could delight in the praise of God. Just thinking about one of these places, John 20, verse 19, where uh, on the first day of the week, this is what happened. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. See how they had been transformed. Rest was coming back to them because God had dealt bountifully with them. And Jesus said to them again, not just once, but twice. Peace be with you. This is a festive day of rest. Peace. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
And eight days later, and his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, and although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. This goes on. But the first day of the week becomes a day of worship immediately. We saw that this morning again in Matthew 28, verse 9, in the morning. And Jesus doesn't uh, bring anything but a word of greeting. A word that all is well, a word of peace. And the women who see him worship him on the first day of the week. What other day could the Lord's day be? In Revelation 1.10, but that day of worship, of peace, of revelation, of renewal, of delight, of joy. It's not surprising that the word of the Lord came on the Lord's day in Revelation. And we delight then in the peace and the rest that the Lord provides for all who call on Him, who call on Him to pardon them, who call on Him in faith that He provides the peace, so that He might provide the peace from God that they need and the peace of God that they need and the peace and the rest that He promises to get. Yeah, we come to praise God. We come also to be restored and, and to take appreciation for that uh, rest that we have from our Lord. That uh, reminder and assurance that all is well. Because Christ the Lord was risen on this day. This gospel promise, this word of God takes priority in the worship of the Lord. Now that may seem odd. That the word of God takes priority. You might say, well, of course it does. He's sovereign. But some might think, well, how does that take priority in the worship? Shouldn't our word take the priority? In the worship of God? After all, how does God get worshipped without our words? But how do we worship without the word of God? I believe, and therefore I spoke. Yes, but what, I, what, it, what is it that I believed? I believe the gospel word of God that brings rest to my soul, that reminds me that God has dealt bountifully with me. And therefore I worship Him. I call on His name. Should we be surprised that the Word of God is to be the priority of our faith? No, it shouldn't be. And it should also then not be a surprise that it should also take priority in our worship. It's that Word that gives peace and direction and hope. We respond to that Word in worship that calls us to worship and directs our worship. It's that Word that is the priority in worship for those who delight in the rest of the Lord already, to learn about what God teaches so that we might delight in Him even more and be confirmed in the rest of God for our souls. In that spirit, the gospel ministry and the education for it should be maintained. And we can see why that is, uh, why that's mentioned in the fourth commandment explanation. If we think about it for a moment, if there's no gospel ministry, there's no worship. If we do not continue to maintain the gospel ministry, there will be no one to believe. And if there's no one who is there to believe, there's no one to speak the praises of the Lord. How shall they believe unless somebody preached to them? No gospel presented, no gospel believed. No gospel believed, no worship of the Lord. And so in that way, we also see how the gospel word of God and not our words take the priority in worship. There's a temptation that our words take the priority but the priority belongs to the Word of God. 
But it's not only the Word, but the sacraments in which we're called to participate. That's part of our confession, too, that I regularly attend the Assembly of God's people to learn what God's Word said, to participate in the sacrament. You ever think about how delightful it is when you can quench your thirst when you're dry? Consider these words of Psalm 116. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And you think about the times when, when we can do that, when we partake of the communion supper, the communion cup. We just did that on Good Friday. But what does that communion cup remind and assure us? That by God's grace, we are not going to have to drink the cup of wrath, but that we've been given the waters of life. And we've been given drink from the river of God's delights. And we've been given the drink of restful salvation from our chaotic, sinful, dead, dry, spiritually parched lives in Christ Jesus. Signified and sealed in the waters of baptism in the communion cup. And when we drink that cup down, we're refreshed with the truth that we belong to Christ. We're saved by Christ. We're directed by Christ. We're blessed by Christ. We belong to Christ. And what a comfort and joy that is. And so we've been delighted by God and His Christ. And in the process, in the process, we worship the Christ as those who take the cup, not as those who, who hope we've been saved, but who worship the Christ because we've been saved. We're recipients of the Lord's salvation and every time we partake of that cup, we're proclaiming that death, that refreshment, that delight until He comes again. We call on the name of the Lord. In that cup, we continue our profession of faith. We continue our delight in the rest of the Lord. A special time of worship is also the time for us to pray and give together. We make that point too, that we pray to God publicly and, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. As God gives to us by word and sacrament, then we respond in prayer by word and giving by deed. Word and deed. Now certainly that this doesn't leave out our singing, much of which is in prayerful tones. The, the more we see the delightful opportunities that these times are, though, the more we will view these opportunities of praise as maze and not just must. Well, I had to come to worship. Had to come? Somebody drag you here? We need to see it as a privilege. Just as it's a privilege to serve God in, in every capacity to which He's called. We need to see these opportunities as maze, not just must. Oh, we're, we're obligated, we're called. No doubt. But we need to delight what we've been called to do. Not just check in, check out, so that 
because of whatever reasons we might think that, well, that'll keep people's uh, keep people off my back or something of that sort. Come on. Come to delight in the rest of the Lord. That's what's going to happen when we view the praise of God on the special day of worship as a delight. Because we delight in God's rest as believers. Now, of course, delighting in the Lord doesn't happen just on the special day of worship. It does in a very important way, but every day. We, we're not to take a Sunday-only approach to, to praise God. God gets this day, but no other day. The rest of the week's for me. Nor does He get only our words, the fruit of lips, but He doesn't get the good that we've been called to do. He gets our deeds that spill over into every day. And of course that shows in Hebrews 13, doesn't it? Don't neglect good, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And that's why we also make the confession that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways and I let the Lord work in me through His Spirit and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. Put off what's old I put on what's new. Every day belongs to God. So all our labors are meant to be directed towards Him. We don't profess, profess today and deny Him tomorrow. We labor, after all, unto the Lord and not unto men, first of all. But when we neglect the doing of good, and we're called not to do that, we bring chaos to our lives. Paul would say, focus on what is good and the God of peace will be with you. People will blame God for not being there for him, for them. But what happens far too often is that what's really happened is that we have not drawn near unto God, like James 4.8 would say. If we are near to him obediently, he'll be near to us. Way too often when we're facing a crisis, we do the exact opposite of what God wants us to be doing to bring peace to our life. We stay away from worship. We stay away from God's people. We stop praying. We disobey God's commandments. We close our Bibles. We make our own perspectives about what's happened. We show forth hatred and bitterness. We fail to forgive. We fail to speak a good word. We don't listen to our parents. And we wonder why things go wrong and continue to go wrong and spin out of control. We do the very things that God says that we shouldn't do because we think that what He wants us to do is a burden. And that it will bring us no good and it will bring us no peace. We neglect the doing of good and we wonder where the rest of our souls is, why the rest of our souls is elusive. We forget as, as with the psalmist, as with the Lord Jesus, that we're first called to be serving the Lord and delighting in Him. And to remember, to return to our rest because the Lord has done delightful, abundant, bountifully things for us. We forget if we ever knew how bountifully He has dealt with us and that He treats us better than we deserve and that He deserves better from us. So oftentimes we think God doesn't 
treat us better than he should. <laughs> what is this? Usually is that he just deserves better from us. But we think that he won't be with us. Yeah. We delight not in the rest that he has already given us through Jesus Christ. God's rest is supposed to have its impact on us every day. Every day. Every day that we live, the psalmist said. As we rest from our evil ways and let the Lord work in us through his spirit so that already in this life we can begin living in the ultimate rest that awaits the people of God in Jesus Christ at his return. Every day is meant to be lived in the restful delight that Christ provides. We need that rest for our souls so that our delight might be in God whenever we worship and wherever we go. Doing the good that pleases the Lord. And every person who professes his faith is saying, this is the delight that he or she knows for each Lord's day and every day. See, the fourth commandment, like the rest of them, shouldn't be a burden to us. The Lord's fourth commandment is, after all, what our lives are supposed to be. A delight in the rest of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that your commandments are not burdensome. And when we see ourselves in light of what Christ has done for us to bring rest for our souls, then how we are not, how can we not but delight in the bounty that you have shown to us, the cup of salvation that we can raise in praise of you as we call on your name. And how could we not then, Father, look at the fourth commandment in any other way than to see it as a reflection of what's already happened to us and now we have the opportunity to express it through the commandment. A delight that's in our hearts because of the rest that we have received from the bountiful grace of God in Jesus Christ. May we take advantage of that, Father, so that in spiritual and physical ways we may express that festive rest that we've come to know and not see our worship as a time of clocking in or clocking out or see it as a burden for us rather than a delight. May it not be that way for us, Lord, if we see what you have done for us bountifully. You've given us a delightful rest in Christ. What a way to live on the Lord's day and every day, serving our great Savior and seeking to do so in the peace that we've known in Jesus. So may you accept our thanks for the fourth commandment and our callings to it in light of your gospel. We pray in